Colloquium, Episode 5, Norse Cosmology, Jason Aaron on Thor, God of Thunder. Welcome to the fifth episode of Colloquium. My name is Marcusan, and this is my comics creator interview podcast for Sequart. This cast is all about the mighty Thor, or if you prefer to talk in a heavy metal voice, Thor! A couple weeks ago, I interviewed writer Jason Aaron about his work on the Marvel comic series, Thor God of Thunder. Most of you know that Jason is a very popular writer these days. As one of the architects at Marvel, he's written great runs on Ghost Rider, The Incredible Hulk, Punisher Max, and Wolverine. He's also authored the critically acclaimed Vertigo series, Scalped, and The Other Side. Currently, he's scripting Thor, Wolverine and the X-Men, and the upcoming Amazing X-Men. He'll also be debuting a brand new creator-owned series at Image called Southern Bastards. For this cast, Jason and I spent an hour discussing Thor. I talked with Jason about writing three versions of the Thunder God, the deliciousness of Mead, coming up with elf names, Mangog, and why beards are essential for both men and gods. Hold on, I need a swig of Mead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing the interview. I really appreciate it. No, that's cool. Just the people who, uh, who bring me Mead. So all the people at Newsarama and uh, CBR also bring you mead? All right, yep, I demand that they bring me also with mead. <laughs> all right, great. Well, let's talk about Thor, God of Thunder. I mean, it's been a, a blast to read it since you took it over. How much fun have you been having writing this series? Uh, well, hopefully it shows that I'm having quite a lot of fun. Um, you know, I mean, it was weird. Like, Thor was not a character that I... Um, really sat around thinking like, yeah, I'd love to write Thor. And it, it just all kind of happened in the moment, uh, you know, when all the Marvel Now craziness started and suddenly, you know, pretty much every book was up for grabs. Um, kind of in the midst of that was the first time I really thought, yeah, I think I want to write Thor. You asked to write it then, Jason? Yeah, I was actually attached to another series um, in Marvel Now, something I'd been talking about maybe doing for a while. Um, but then suddenly everything was on the table, you know, as everybody was switching books. Um, so I realized, you know, I, I wanted to, to go for Thor. So I asked for it, kind of planted my flag, and, you know, here we are. What was the other series you were attached to, can you say? I guess I was going to write Cap for a while when Ed was still in the book. Um, oh, that would have been cool. But, um, which I'd still love to write Cap someday. I mean, I love what Rick's doing on it. Oh, he's killing on that book. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just when every you know when everything started happening, I, you know I don't know why, but Thor just struck me as uh, as what seemed right you know for that moment mm -hmm. for me. Well, what I love about your Thor is that the book really focuses on his character. Uh, why did you decide to shift the focus more to Thor himself? Um, well, I, I mean I like a, <clears throat> a lot of the the supporting cast, but um, I just felt 
you know, with Stravinsky's run and, and Matt's run, um, they, they'd really done a lot of work, you know, reintroducing all those characters and, and building up that cast. So it just seemed time to me to, to strip that away for a little bit and just focus in on the work. Um, and, you know, with, with this being part of Marvel now, the whole idea is that these were brand new, you know, 100% jumping on point. So if you were somebody who had never read Thor before, you should be able to pick up the series and it should tell you why you should give a damn about Thor, why you should mm-hmm. want to read, you know, keep reading this. So, um, and it was really kind of me figuring that out too of, you know, Thor, Thor was a character that I'd read the Simons and stuff, you know, like most everybody and loved that. Um, you know, I read it off the rack when it was first coming out, but, um, that was about it for me and Thor. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd read the newer stuff, but wasn't a character I collected, wasn't a character I really followed. So I kind of had to figure out, you know, what, what's so great about this guy? Why, why do I want to write this book? Uh, what's interesting to me? So, um, to do that, I just had to focus in on who is this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to the, to the extent where I even, uh, made him his own supporting cast and you know, we get not just one, but, you know, multiple versions of the work. Well, it's interesting because you said that, um, you know, you hadn't really read a lot of Thor in the past, but before the whole Marvel retreat, you knew that you wanted to write Thor. So it must have been a character you had been thinking about for a little bit before you volunteered. Um, well, maybe I, I remember when, when Matt first started writing Thor, you know, Matt and I were friends. Um, he did those first, uh, Ages of Thunder one shot. And that was the first time that I thought like, oh, that, you know, it might be cool someday to write Thor. But I remember thinking that at the moment and then just kind of pushed that aside and never thought of it again until, um, you know, years later in the Marvel Now stuff came up. So I, I wasn't, I didn't have a file on my computer with Thor ideas. I wasn't, uh, um, thinking about Thor or wondering what I would do with Thor until suddenly it, it just kind of happened in the moment. Um, but, you know, when I, when I did realize, you know, I, that's what I want to do, I kind of went back. Well, I mean, one, I, of course, I remembered the, those Ages of Thunder one shot, so I remember thinking that, reading the first one. Um, but then I also went back and, you know, just started with the beginning and, and read the, all the, the Lee Kirby stuff, um, which I'd never read any of that. I, you know, I, for some reason, like I, I had read, you know, most of the stuff from back in that day, but I'd, I'd read most of their Fantastic Four, I'd read, um, you know, the early Spider-Man stuff, the X-Men stuff, but for whatever reason, I'd never read those, those Thor books. Mm. Um, it's great. So, you know, I, that's some of my favorite Kirby stuff I've ever read. You know, there's a streak there towards the end, uh, uh of his run that I think is just amazing. Um, you know, probably, probably culminating with the, the Mangog story, that first Mangog story. Ah, uh, Mangog, your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Mangog. Um, <laughs> So just the you know the more I read the more I liked it and the more uh, more ideas it gave me. Mm-hmm. So have you read the entire run? Still working my way through the whole thing. Um, I don't know exactly what issue number I'm on at this point, but yeah, I've read through all the 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 Stanley stuff and up through the the seventy stuff. I think I'm somewhere in the eighties at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, of course, I've already read all the I read the Simons and stuff, and I read some of. I also bought some of the um the Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Oh yeah. They had they had a run there in the whatever that was, late eighties, nineties. Mm-hmm. I actually I really like the uh the Dan Jurgens run too. Sure, yeah, yep, 
Yeah, I've read, I've read uh, some of that stuff, too. Mm-hmm. How much influence did these past Thor stories, specifically the, the Lee and Kirby stuff, how much influence did that have on you? Um, well, if nothing else, it just uh, certainly formed the, the tone and the scale of everything. Um, you know, I, I knew, certainly for the first story, first big story of Thor, God of Thunder, I wanted it to be epic in every sense of the word. Um, so that's why I kind of, you know, did the story that took place over thousands of years and three different time periods and three Thors and all that sort of thing. Because, um, you know, you read those those original Thor stories and that's what set Thor apart. I mean, that was the whole idea is that Stan Lee, you know, was sitting around thinking, what what do we do next? You know, we've done the, the science freaks and the, the mutants and the, the, the monsters. Like, what do we do for our next guy? And, you know, the thing he sees on was doing a god. Um, that's what set Thor apart. So, um, you know, I wanted to embrace that idea in, in every way I could um, mm-hmm. because that's what makes Thor stories different than Spider-Man stories or Batman or, or X-Men. You know, you can do things with Thor that you can't do with those other characters, um, which I tried to make obvious in, in laying, like I said, that first story out is something that took place over the course of eons. So, mm-hmm. um, the show is that Thor's, you know, the, the adventures we read of Thor in the Marvel Universe right now are really just a drop in the bucket of the life this guy has lived and, and will live. Um, so, so, I mean, if nothing else, uh, that's what I got from those mm-hmm. um, Lee Kirby stuff was just to make him a god. Never forget that he's a god. Um, you know, I, I like the Thor movie, but I think I can understand why they do it, but part part of that with the movie is, you know, it's about kind of shying away from that idea and, and basically saying that as guardians or, you know, aliens or people right. or you know, guys from another dimension that we sort of perceive as gods. Um, mm. That's cool. I mean, I think you could read Thor God of Thunder if you want to believe that's about Thor in the Marvel Universe. I think you could. Um, but, but whenever I'm writing it, I mean, I lean hard into the fact that this guy is a god and, and that's what sets him apart and, mm-hmm. and have fun with exploring what that means. You know, what does it mean to be a god uh, in the Marvel Universe? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you definitely did that. And I mean, it, it feels epic because you have um, that unique aspect to your run that we haven't seen before, which is Thor and three time periods. So how did you initially come up with that idea to show Thor at three different periods in his life? Well, I think it was a combo of, um, you know, those, those uh, Ages of Thunder one-shots that Matt did um, and my uh, team love of Conan books. Um, cause, you know, I read all the Robert E. Howard Conan stuff when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite Conan stories were the King Conan stories. Um, so, you know, Conan books are the same way in it. You know, they're different definite periods to his life. So young Conan is very different than an older, wiser Conan, and then eventually you get Conan who grows up and becomes the king and has children. Um, so just the idea that, well, of course that should be Thor, just played out over the course of, of thousands of years. Um, so so I just knew I, I wanted to do those kind of stories. Uh, I wanted to do young, brash, um, violent uh, god of the Viking Thor and uh, old, grizzled uh, King Thor. Um, 
So I thought, what better way to start off than just doing them all in one story? Um, and, you know, I think that's a good way to introduce this character is to show you how he changes over the years, helps you learn, I think, who he is. Um, and just, you know, it's fun to write a character arguing with his older or younger self, um, mm-hmm. which maybe, maybe it's me, you know, I just turned 40. So, um, you start to think about, you know, um, what would it be like to be in the same room with your 16 year old self and your, you know, your 89 year old self? Um, we probably all wouldn't get along so good. Mm-hmm. Well, what significance does each of the Thors uh, play in his life, starting with the, the young Thor, who spends a lot of time drinking mead and hanging out with the Vikings on Midgard? Who is that, that right. Thor to you? Uh, well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, just in the most basic sense, he's the Thor who's not yet worthy um, and understand what that even means. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great uh, Lee Kirby story. I think it's one of the Tales of Asgard backups. Um, that shows when Thor first, uh, you know, is able to pick up the hammer, um, which, you know, what, what, what I'm doing doesn't quite um, mesh with that. But, um, you know, in that story, we see uh, Thor as a young boy, and, and he kind of he, he's trying to pick up the hammer, and he can't. Um, he'll go out and go, do a good deed, and every time he comes back, he'll be able to pick it up a little bit more, lift it a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that that in a nutshell is, is the young Thor. Um, right. He's the guy who's, who's doing that every day, every day, every morning he wakes up and goes in there and tries <laughs> to pick up the hammer. Right. Well, I like that you also introduced uh, Yarnbjorn, his axe, because um, it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense that he would have some other powerful weapon if he can't have the hammer. That was actually uh, Tom Brevoort's idea. Oh, really? Um, I don't remember exactly where and when that came about. Um, because I, I liked that story. I knew I wanted to do that story of young Thor trying to pick up his axe, but, um, you know, continuity-wise, it gets uh, hard to figure out when that should actually take place. Um, so Tom was the one who said, uh, you know, I should just run with that and, and, and you know, give, give Thor a different weapon. Um, so when Tom, who's like the guru of Marvel continuity, gives me the green flag, you know, I... I run with it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that I wouldn't have done that without Tom. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had we had been talking about or flirting with the idea of, of giving uh, Thor different weapons. If you look at that very first Marvel Now image that Joe Casada drew, Thor's got a couple of swords strapped to his back because mm-hmm. uh, Joe had some ideas for different weapons we could give him. So uh, we also had all that going on. So in the midst of that, you know, we realized. Um, be cool to give young Thor this, this big ass axe. Um, <laughs> Perfect. And right, actually, and now then, it's playing a big role in uh, Uncanny Avengers. Right, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, then, you know, Rick uh, Reminder picked up on that and ran with it, which is really cool. Um, you know, he and I talk a lot, so it's always cool to, you know, to pick up seeds that somebody else is dropping. It, it makes things seem so much more co- cohesive. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, that was really cool. Is that something that you plan to cover, like when he actually lost the axe? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. He he wrote me into a huge corner with that, if you notice. Um, like the scene and wh- whatever issue that is where where Kane uh, gets the axe. Um, he and I, Rick and I, talked about like what the time period for when Thor could have lost the axe. And, and what I told him, Rick, just to put it in like a Indiana Jones-type temple or something buried underground and Kane goes and gets it. 
Mm-hmm. But he has it stuck in the head of, of Baron Mordo. <laughs> right. The Doctor Strange villain. So, ne- so I have to figure out what the hell, where did that come from? <laughs> what is, how is that story? <laughs> All right. Well, so you talked about the importance of young Thor, but what about the current Thor, the Avengers Thor? How do you view him? <sighs> um, well, you know, I was raised in the South. I was raised religious. I was raised Southern Baptist, like everybody else who's born in the South. Uh, but I've been an atheist for most of my adult life. Um, mm-hmm. With me as, as an atheist, I think writing the God I would like to believe in, I think that's present-day Thor. Um, you know, he's not a perfect God by any means. Uh, he screws up, uh, but he's trying. And if any, if anything coming out of this first arc, he's trying even harder because he, he, you know, it's kind of driven home to him how. Um, you know, a lot of your fellow gods aren't so great, um, that maybe them being around has even made things worse. So, um, mm-hmm. it feels like he's got to shoulder that, that weight for everybody else. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I think it's an atheist writing his idea of God. Yeah. What I enjoy about that current version is that, I mean, he's a guy who can still enjoy a fine ale, but he seems more <laughs> thoughtful and strategic than I've seen him before, especially in that first issue, when that first issue came out and he was surveying the battle scene. It seemed like, um, you know, he had the experience to examine you know, what had happened there because he had been through so many battles. And sure. I, I like that take on it. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I wanted him to be more than just a, a, a lunkhead who carries a big hammer. Um, you know, I mean, as we've seen, he eventually becomes king of Asgard. I mean, he becomes the all-father. Um, so present day Thor is like the guy who's stuck between, you know, that brash, uh, young, um, version of himself and the, the grizzled old, old king. You know, he's very much both of those guys, um, but, but stuck somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, the, the other thing from when I read those, um, uh, original Lee Kirby stories is that, um, I mean, the book almost could have been called Odin back then, and that, you know, Odin was really the most badass dude in, in the series back then. He That's was true. Constant deus ex machina, and that Odin could always show up and make everything okay and defeat whatever the enemy was. <clears throat> um, so I wanted to get away from that a little bit. Obviously, Odin hasn't even, hasn't even been in the book. Um, you know, he's been off, off in, in Asgard space for a while now, so I wanted to make, you know, instead of making Giving that role to Odin to give that role to Thor, um, and so to see King Thor is that guy, um, you know, the, the the guy who wields the the awesome power of the All Father. Mm-hmm. You do have Old King Thor in the book, grizzled as he is. Uh, how have the years of experience affected him? Um, he's become so much more like his dad than he ever uh, would have thought. You know, I think that's the other key to Thor is that he's just a, he's a guy who could never please his dad. Um, you know, and that play, plays out over <laughs> every era of his existence. Um, and then, of course, he winds up turning into his dad, which, which of course, horrifies present-day Thor when he sees that. Um, you know, he becomes his dad not just in the way he looks like it, um, which we couldn't avoid. I mean, I knew I, I wanted, like, an old bearded Thor uh, and we had to give him an eye patch, so of course then he's going to look exactly like Odin. Um, <laughs> so I, I like that idea. 
Um, and then we also cut his arm off too, which um, so badass. The Dan Jurgens run, I think he loses his arm at one point in the future. Uh, so it's kind of a nod to that. And then uh, I just like the idea of, of giving him an arm of the Destroyer. Um, so someday I guess I'll have to explain how that happened. You definitely need to explain that. That's one of the uh, most hotly anticipated mysteries, I think. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, um, just to skip ahead, is that, you know, the old King Thori has granddaughters too, which is interesting because, right. you know, the modern day Thor sees old Thor and is like, I can't believe I became him. But old Thor also would probably look back and say, wow, I was Japan in the ass to Odin. And I understand now. But yeah, I mean, I knew once you know that, that Thor is going to become Odin in the future, then you've got to give him his own version of, of Thor. So he's got these three granddaughters. Um, and you can look at them sort of as a, a bit of a, you know, a trinity in and of themselves, but, uh, and which will become more obvious as we start to see more of them. But yeah, they're playing the role of, of brash young Thor, uh, driving, driving, uh, their grandfather crazy. <laughs> so we will see that when you do more old <clears throat> King Thor then? Yep. Yeah. The next time we see, uh, King Thor, we'll see, we'll see the goddesses of thunder as well. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I love about Old King Thor, um, I guess I'll say spoilers for anyone who's listening to this, but we see all three Thors battling side by side against Gore, the God Butcher. And I was actually a little bit skeptical about you putting all three of the Thors together, but I wound up really enjoying it because of their interactions with one another, especially when Old King Thor is just ripping his younger selves for being dumb or not having beards. So I was, <laughs> that was great. I love it, that comedy bits that you uh, put in each of the books. So is there any chance that we'll see uh, current Thor realize his unmanly mistake and then grow a beard? I think in the first issue script, I actually wrote present-day Thor with having a bit of a beard, kind of like a you know Chris Hemsworth beard from the movie. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, I like the idea that you had young, smooth-faced Thor and, and then old King Thor with a long beard. And in the middle, you had kind of scruffy present-day Thor. But oh, then right. Esau just forgot to draw it. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe we'll get back to that. I don't know. I, I forget it sometimes, too. Um, <laughs> you have to, Jason. You were talking about the guy that you would want. He can't be unbearded. It's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, but maybe maybe if we, if we start to see present-day Thor as he gets older, as he... Um, you know, maybe he starts to recognize he's becoming more and more like, you know, the the, the grizzled old King Thor that he met. Um, maybe that's the, the point when he starts to grow a beard. Mm-hmm. Going back a little bit, um, in the first few issues, we also saw another version of Thor, the adolescent version, who visits the Mad God. And I was wondering if you plan to explore those very early years in Thor's history down the road? Because that's not something I had ever seen before, and I really kind of liked seeing a really young Thor. Um, yeah, I don't really have any definite plans. I mean, I just more we'll see, kind of kind of like that moment, we'll see more of Thor uh, telling us stories about his childhood. Um, so I, I think for now, I kind of like that idea better than and if I was to go back and dramatize some of those stories. So, right. um, you know, there's a scene coming up in issue 14 or 15, I forget. Um, it's another moment kind of like that, of Thor telling us stories about 
being a kid and about his relationship with his dad. So. Oh, great. Yeah, I look forward to that. I like that kind of stuff. And the twist of that scene will be who he's telling it to, who he's talking to. Mm-hmm. So we, we know the exploration of the three Thors is something that you're going to continue to do, um, but that we won't see all three different timelines in every arc. Can you talk a bit about um, you know how you plan to explore the three versions in the future? Are you going to have whole arcs dedicated to old King Thor, for example? I think it'll mix up. It'll be mixed from time to time. Um, so obviously issue 12, we got glimpses of all three of them. Um, the arc that, that's going on right now, the, the accursed, um, that's just present day Thor, so we don't see any of the other two. Um, but right after that, issue 18 is a standalone that focuses just on young Thor. After that, the, the, um, you know, the next big arc starts with 19, and that will actually be split between present day Thor and King Thor. Um, so it's a story that kind of it won't be as directly linked as things were in the God Butcher arc, but more thematically linked. So I think it'll be mixed like that. I mean, um, you know, there'll be standalone stories focusing on Young Thor on occasion, stories focusing on King Thor, and then there may be stories focusing on multiple ones of those. And mm-hmm. at some point, some point, maybe we get a big five issue arc focusing on just King Thor or Young Thor. I don't know. I think it'll change <laughs> from Mark Thor. Well, it's interesting. Do you ever worry that you're never going to get have the opportunity to write all the stories for all these Thors because you've painted this epic, huge world for him? Yeah, I mean, I you know that's always a concern with anything you do for Marvel is that um, it's hard these days to lay down tracks that may not you know things that that may not come to fruition for a couple of years because you never know um, you may not be there in a couple of years. Comics are really aren't really made to have those long, sustained runs now. It seems to me like like it like there used to be when I was a kid. Right. But that said, um, I'm locking myself in uh, to do that. I mean, I want to do that. I want to be on it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I'm laying tracks. I'm laying groundworks for stories that will take a long time to to get to the climax. Um, you know the 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 God Butcher story kind of sets things in motion, and after that, this Malekith story is really the next big piece of the puzzle. Um, and you know, after a few arcs, you'll kind of start to see where things are headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've kind of got to be here for for a long time um, for all that to pay off. Um, like 10 years, at least. Right. <laughs> we'll see. And, you know, and there's, I mean, I have overarching stories to tell with, each one of the Thors, they've each got their own story to tell. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'll have to be here for for a good while to be able to, to tell all that. Well, let's talk a bit about the uh, the epic year-long Gore the God Butcher story that wrapped up a couple issues ago. Um, initially, that story was supposed to be smaller, but uh, Marvel Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso encouraged you to make it bigger. So looking back on it, do you think that extra content made the story better than you had originally conceived it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I could have dug into the, the three Thors quite as much as I did uh, without that. Um, but, and then, of course, that's one of the things that people seem to like most about the story. Uh, like you said, introducing those three Thors and then getting to watch them play off each other, watch them fight um, side by side. Um, 
that was the most fun stuff to write, and that seemed to be one of the things people most responded to. Um, so no, I, I don't regret at all um, changing the story. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. Or the concern was always going in that I knew I wanted Esad to be able to draw the whole thing. Um, so it was how do we make that happen? Um, and, and thankfully he was able to do that. You know, the the one issue six was was a standalone issue to give him a little uh, bit of a break, but um, you know, I was really happy that he was able to to forge through and draw the whole thing. You know, some of those issues came down to the wire, but but um, um, I'm really really happy and really proud that that um, we have the whole team together for the whole thing. Yeah, it's great. You just don't see that that often. Um, I mean, personally, I'm glad the story was expanded because I felt like you had the opportunity to um, develop Thor, but also you got to develop Gore as a character who goes to like such extreme lengths to kill all the gods that he actually becomes one himself. And I found that pretty fascinating because he starts off as this powerless character who ascends to a level of power that's way beyond who he was. And he doesn't even realize the consequences or responsibility of that. So once Gore is defeated, I found myself asking the question, how do all those experiences with Gore fighting him, knowing what he is, how did that affect Thor? Having just stopped a godlike being who nearly destroyed everything, you know, with his powers, does that make Thor reassess his own responsibility as a deity? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... uh that will, that's one of the themes of the book, uh, probably for the duration of my run on it, is, uh, the work questioning, uh, what it means to be a god, and is he a good god, um, and can he do more? Um, I think we'll, we'll see that driving most every arc of the book mm-hmm. for present day Thor. Well, you know, I think issue 12 actually focused on that a little bit too, because it kind of showed how Thor takes his, abilities and responsibilities seriously and and strives to use them for good but it shows how he also cares about people and after such an epic war across time and space it seems like it thor would take the time to appreciate the smaller everyday things in life sure well yeah i mean that issue is the equivalent of the bible story of jesus you know going to minister to to prostitutes and and going to to hang out with, with beggars um you know when Thor comes to Earth, he's not just going to hang out with Tony Stark. <laughs> right. You know, he's going to... There are going to be people he goes to see in prison. There are going to be people he goes to see in the poorest parts of the world. And, and, and you know, surprising people he'll have surprising relationships with. So um, uh, I liked exploring that in, in that mm-hmm. issue and showing him meeting with people of, of most every major religion, um, you know, over the course of one issue. Um that was fun. Yeah, I don't think that was a story anybody had done before, that kind of day in the life of the God of Thunder story. Worked almost like an epilogue for me to the uh, the God Butcher. I thought it was, was really well done. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it was kind of an epilogue, but it kind of set up um, where things are headed. Obviously, the, the ending with the tease with King Thor, that's something we'll pick up on later. Um, the, the new S.H.I.E.L.D. character, we introduced Ross Solomon. Um, she'll be a big part of things in the next big arc. Ah, oh, new girlfriend, that's right. Right, and, and you know, it's not zero to 60 where next time we see them, they're madly in love and they're making out constantly. It's, you know, she's somebody there, maybe something will happen, maybe not. Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want Thor to be 
a guy who settles down, like I think for Mark Dark, he'll be a bit of James Bond, where you'll see Thor making out with all sorts of lovely ladies. Um, but, but <laughs> well, you you had him betting three girls at one time. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I like the man whore aspect of, of <laughs> Thor a little bit. We'll play with that for a while before we, you know, have him settle down with with mm-hmm. one gal. That's what Mead does to you. Works every time. <laughs> <laughs> so you created your own mythology with the Gore, the God Butcher story. Um, it kind of steered clear of the traditional Norse myth. Was that something that you really endeavored to do to tell this new story? Something that offered, um, well, something different than we'd seen before? Yeah, I mean, part, part of it was I just didn't know what I had to offer in terms of, of foraging and mining the 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 Norse myths again. Um, I mean, I think that's been done pretty extensively at this point. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I bought, I bought the sagas, I read stuff, but it, 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 at some point I just realized, like, I, I don't want to go this direction. I want to go um, a different direction. I mean, something that, that balances all that stuff, um, but also takes us out into the cosmos and it introduces us to gods we've never seen before. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at, Gods in the Marvel Universe, there are countless different pantheons we've met on Earth. Um, right. Bunches of them. But we've never really seen that many gods uh, from out in the, the cosmos. So if we've got such a plethora of gods just on this one little, you know, unremarkable planet in the Milky Way, surely we've got, um, you know, who knows how many out there in the cosmos. So that to me was more exciting. So a place like Omnipotent city that, that we introduced in in, Gorz, in the the, the Gorhart, um Oh yeah, with uh, a librarian. Right. Um, that's a place that that the book will come back to because um, I like the idea of doing this sort of capital city for all the gods of the universe. Um, you know, it opens a lot of story possibilities um, that uh, will meet a lot of new characters. Um, other gods from from all around the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that Thor knows about the other gods, and you know when um, somebody prays for a god and he's not, you know, their traditional deity, he still heeds the call. You know, he still is interested right. in uh, people throughout the entire universe. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, to me, it, it makes Thor even cooler if you. Once you expand the number of gods uh, in the cosmos, um, Thor is not just the greatest god on Earth. I mean, he might be the greatest god in all the universe, and the universe full of countless different gods of all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that that'll be another another theme of thing, uh, things going forward. It's kind of Thor's place in the, the overall cosmology of the universe. Mm-hmm. Well, Gore is one of the fiercest enemies that Thor ever faced. Um, when people think about Thor's rogues gallery now, I think they're going to put Gore on that list. So when you created him, did you hope that he would be the kind of character that would last, that would not only challenge uh, Thor in power, but would be the kind of adversary that people would uh, remember? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've created a lot of characters at Marvel. I never really that much about it. I mean, I just kind of whatever works for that story, and if, if somebody else likes it and wants to play with it someday, you know, that's awesome. Um, so, no, I mean, no, the whole idea with Gore initially was just to do um, 
um, you know, a guy who is a, a creepy uh, serial killer of gods. Um, so just a, a guy who walked around stuck in the shadows, wore a cloak and hood, and, and had this strange dark weapon that he would use to kill kill gods, but very much in the shadows, so very much a shadow, shadowy filler, serial killer that, that nobody even really knew existed. Um, and of course, by the end of the story, he becomes something very different, but um, I mean, that was the whole idea in Chile. Right. So we we haven't talked much about uh, Saad Ribic. What is it like for you to collaborate with him on such an epic first story? Well, I mean, it was it was perfect. I can't imagine doing that book with anybody else. Um, you know, really having that fun on board shaped what this the story was because I, um, you know, I, I told Axel back in the midst of the the Marvel Now talks that hey, I want to do Thor. He said, great, and he came back to me later and said, um, Esad's going to draw it. Yeah. I said, awesome. Uh, you know, Esad and I had worked together just once before on a Wolverine one-shot, which was a lot of fun. So I, I didn't even have a story yet. I mean, I hadn't told, hadn't pitched anything to Marvel yet, I hadn't told them what I wanted to do with Thor, and I knew Esad was drawing it. So I think that opened things up uh, in terms of what I could do and how big I could make it. It's like one of those guys who who could draw that something on that epic scale and pull it off. Um, That's cool that you knew that and it kind of inspired what you were going to do going forward. Yeah, I mean it was also a lot of pressure in that you know it it was I'm I'm handed silver and I'm handed this. I of course still assume that I'm going to come up with something worth a damn, (laughs) (laughs) or otherwise they'll find somebody else. So there's a lot of pressure to say, all right. Uh, like here I am now. I got to figure out what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> How did they react, Marvel and Assad, um, when you first uh, pitched your story? Um, it went, went uh, really well at the, the retreat. Like we had the first Marvel Now retreat, uh, you know, where everybody came in and pitched their new books, which was really cool. We never had one like that before. You know, usually um, you go to a retreat and you'll hear, you know, what that person is going to be doing in their book for the next two, three years. So mm-hmm. things are kind of ruined or, or spoiled for you. But this, everything was fresh and brand new. Everybody's pitching a brand new book, a you know, brand new number one issue. Um, so I came into that and pitched, you know, the whole God Butcher story. Um, you know, Gore's origin and the, how it ended with the, uh, the other gods praying the Thor, like everything was in that pitch. And, and thankfully, uh, people really dug it. Um, but that still, that was still supposed to be a six or seven issue story. Um, and uh, that was the main comment is if, you know, there was no way I could do all that in <laughs> six or seven issues. Um, and then, so thankfully they were right about that. But yeah, it was, uh, the, you know, the, the pitching situations are nerve wracking sometimes. And I'm not used to doing that to go into a room. Um, you know, with 30 people and everybody's looking at you and you tell them what you're going to do in your book um, for the next year or two. Um, it's hard. You know, there's there's people in there, a lot of talented writers and editors and people with very sharp story minds. So uh, usually if you can go into that room and survive it, come out with your story intact, you know, you feel <laughs> really bold and you feel pretty good. It's like, all right, if we can run that gauntlet, um, you know, you, you should be okay. 
That's really interesting. I'm sure people will throw out ideas for you as well. Sure. Well, yeah, the, um, the, uh, um, in the, the, the last issue of the, the God Butcher story, the God Bomb story, uh, when we see the, there are mentioned these other gods praying to, to Thor, you know, that part was in my pitch and it was, Dan Slott was the one who said, oh, well, you gotta show uh, Odin. You know, every <laughs> god is praying to Thor, you gotta show Odin praying to the sun. So that was, like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So that's why we had that bit. <laughs> well, let's talk about the uh, the new five-issue storyline starring Malekith the Accursed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Elves uh, bust Malekith out of a prison, and he basically goes on a Dark Elf killing spree across the Night Realms. I saw a video on your website that was pretty cool, and you promoted this new arc as this high fantasy tale that has Thor chasing after Malekith with a group of fantasy creatures. So what inspired uh, this kind of um, Lord of the Rings chase take on Thor for this new arc? Um, well, you know, obviously very, very simple crass reasons for the, the villain and that Malekith is the villain in the movie. So um, it seemed like a good time to do a Malekith story in the book, uh, which I was perfectly, you know, I, I jumped right on that idea because um, I, I love the, the silence and stuff. Um, but beyond that, um, yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, uh, and just the idea of, of this being some sort of like a, a dark western, and it's very much about uh, characters on horses chasing after each other through the desert. Um, but just the, the story takes us through the, uh, the the nine realms, which was another thing. As, you know, as, I didn't know anything about the the Norse cosmology. I didn't know. I couldn't pronounce any of the words. I didn't know how to spell anything. I didn't know, you know, one elf from another elf. And it's all kind of hard to figure out, like, wait, like, wait, where do the, the dark elves live? Where? Like, which realm do they live in? And where are the giants again? Like, I, I don't understand any of it. So um, I wanted the story to kind of break all that down and to help me understand it and hopefully help, you know, readers understand it, people who've never read Thor before. Um well, I like that you put a, a map, that you right. put a map of the nine worlds in the issue. That was really cool. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, if you look over the years, Marvel's done uh, a map of the nine realms from time to time. Like in the, the Marvel handbook over the years, there might be one or three or four of them probably out there from over time. But there hadn't been one in a long time. Um, so this seemed the perfect time to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it all kind of fit together. I mean, this is certainly the... Uh, the high fantasy. Um, this is the leaning hard into the, the fantasy elements of, of Thor's world, and, and what, there's no good fantasy story that doesn't have a map uh, at some point. So we had to have a map, um, and hopefully by the end of this story, um, even a brand new Thor reader will will be able to understand the um, you know the layout of those nine realms a little bit, so that she'll know. You know, the, the the Dark Elves live here, and the, the Giants live here. This is you know, oh, cool. different from from Spartelheim. Um, so e- each world will kind of have its own characteristics, and we'll know who lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, I mean, so to me, I mean, that's, this is, the, the setting of Thor's stories are not just Asgard and Broxton, Oklahoma. It's it's this. It's all nine of these realms. Um so I, I wanted to embrace that and do a story that took us to every one of them. So we'll see every 
Oh, we'll see all nine of them over the course of this one story. <laughs> you don't do anything small, do you, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> so have you uh, read up in any Norse mythology uh, to inform these worlds? Because it sounds like you're going to be exploring them quite a bit. Some, and then I've, you know, I've, I've tried to parcel out um, what's been established about them in Marvel Comics over the years. And so, you know, some of it's contradictory. Uh, so we kind of have to throw some stuff out and, and keep what we like and, and boil stuff down. Um, and, and Lauren Sankovich, my editor, has been great at helping me with that. So I think, you know, this is sort of the definitive take on these nine realms for the foreseeable future, for while, while I'm on the book. So we, uh-huh. you know, sort of break down like where do the dwarves live and what do they look like and what do the dark elves look like. Um, and, and so that'll be set going forward. Hmm. And yeah, yeah, it's a gorgeous map, and it'll be a great, great roadmap for, for the rest of the story. You can kind of refer back to the map and figure out what, where you are. Oh, cool. Well, Malekith is a character that I think Simonson created in the '80s, but he hasn't been around a lot. So, what, what about that character intrigues you? I know the movie's coming out, but what about that character specifically intrigues you? Um, I mean, it was a, an easy doorway into doing high fantasy stories, a story involving elves and dwarves and giants and trolls and all that, um, which I had a, a ridiculous amount of fun writing all that stuff. I, I mean, I realized writing this first issue, writing issue 13, um, how just how much I always wanted to write a fantasy story. Um, I mean, I have a notebook that's filled with pages of uh, elf names. Like I just have... Uh, a lot of fun coming up with elf names. Can you share some of those names, Jason? Oh, I don't have my my notebook with me right this second, and I gotta keep them secret because I'm I'm <laughs> using most of them. <laughs> but dark elf names versus light elf names, and mm-hmm. uh, you know we need a light elf uh, in issue fourteen. Um, so all that kind of stuff uh, was ridiculously fun, I think. and you know different ideas for well, what are the dwarf feet versus what are what the dark elves eat. Um, you know, and, and like I've been reading the, the Game of Thrones books because um, I love the show, but I'd never read the, the books before. The Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, and the books are George. so good. Yeah, they're so great. And, and George R. R. Martin does such a, a, a terrific job of, of you know, breaking down uh, the, the different cultures and, and so that you understand how the, the people in the South are very different than the people in the North. and mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the settings of, of King's Landing and what they eat in King's Landing and, and what they wear and, and so how that's so different from Winterfell. So um, that's what I was trying to do with, with the different nine realms. And, and Malekith was, was the easy door into that. But beyond that, I mean, just in terms of the character, I mean, they're really, it's a bit of a blank slate in that he, you know, it appeared in a few stories in Simonson Run, in Simonson's Run, which were really cool. Um, I think you might forget how weird some of those stories are, and that the might be the issue where he first appears, or one of those. Um, but there's weird stuff. There's one scene where um, the guy seems to kill someone by feeding them a cheeseburger. <laughs> like Simonson initially doesn't explain it at all, and even has a bit at the end, like in the next issue blurb, where he says, "Like I, I swear this will make sense." Like just keep reading. He breaks out of jail using a French fry that he finds in his pocket. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which they later explain, you know, as being like enchanted fairy food. Um, 
the, the, the visual of Malekith was great, and he was lord of the, the wild hunt, so he always had this crazy pack of flying dogs with him. Um, but beyond that, I mean, we really hadn't seen that much of the character um, over the years. Uh, I think maybe the last appearance was in uh, Hercules by Greg Pack and uh, Fred Benite. Um And I, I, they, they had introduced a new queen of the Dark Elf, um, and we actually see her in the next issue, I think. Um, so there's a bit of a blank, blank slate, slate in terms of who is this guy and, and what is he up to now. And, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to make him scary. I wanted to make him a little bit, you know, like the Joker to, to Thor's Batman. Um, but in terms of what he's up to and, and, and where he goes from here, that's kind of the big question of, of this arc. I mean, this arc is not like a one-time thing. It's not like a, a cheap five-issue uh, cash-in on, on the Thor 2 movie. So this is very much about positioning Malekith, um, you know, to have a big role as part of Thor's uh, rogues gallery. Well, it's interesting that you uh, like him to the Joker, because I don't think Joker ever had a fucking winged tiger. Which <laughs> I love that cover that Ron did for issue 13, where Thor is fighting Malekith, and he's on that winged yeah, tiger. Awesome. It reminds me of those Dungeons and Dragons posters that I used to have when I was a kid. Sure. Um, well, there's a the point in issue 14, we, we meet this group, group called the League of Realms, who are kind of made up of representatives from different, of the nine realms. So there's a light elf, and there's a troll, and there's a dwarf, and such. And at some point, we see all those characters mounted. So I had to figure out, oh, what are they all writing? Which was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so that, it was somewhere in the midst of that, or, or maybe it was before. I initially had Malekith writing, I think just one of the dogs. And then I, I went back and changed it because I, I thought, oh, somebody should write a flying white tiger. Like, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I had somebody else writing it, and I was like, no, Malik is going to have a flying white tiger. Oh, yeah. Pretty badass. <laughs> and you you uh, you uh seem to enjoy flying steeds because didn't you have uh, Pegasi in the first couple issues of Thor? I did, yep. We cut the head off one, yeah. And then we had another one, the black, black and the white one, both flying around. So what are the chances that we're going to get Malekith and his flying kitty fighting Thor on his sky chariot drawn by Tooth Nash or Tooth Grinder? <laughs> we won't get that just yet. We, we do see uh, Thor riding one of his goats. Um, so when, the, when all the, the League of Rim mounts up, Thor's just just uh, climbs stride one of his goats. Um, so we will see a little goat action. But... <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, that, I mean that was one of the most fun fight scenes of that first arc was writing a fight scene in the air, which I think I had the idea before before I realized before I remembered, like oh young Thor can't fly like he doesn't have a hammer. <laughs> so right. I had to write in a bunch of flying horses. <laughs> uh, well, issue thirteen also gives us a handful of familiar supporting characters that you haven't really written up until that point, uh, namely the Warriors three. And Sif, um, we see them drinking mead in celebration. So what's it been like to write those classic characters? Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I like all those pieces. Um, it was fun to, to finally have them in the book. I don't want to overuse them. I mean, I think one of the things to me that was always cool about Asgard back in the, those original Lee Kirby stories is that 
you know, Thor would, Thor might stay on Earth for five issues, um, and then go to Asgard. So it always kind of seems special when he goes, goes to Asgard, because again, it's far away, you gotta take the Rainbow Bridge to get there. Um, so I, I, I like that separation. I, I, I don't necessarily want Asgard to be a part of the book every issue. So, you know, the, the characters that go with that, won't be a part of it every issue, but uh, we will always go back to them. Um, and obviously, you know, this issue represents a big change for Volstagg, and he becomes a senator in the in the Congress of, of Realms, mm-hmm. Congress of Worlds, um, which I, you know, I, because I wanted to start diving into kind of some of the politics, the politics of between the different the different realms. Um, so Volstagg will kind of be our our doorway into mm. that. Does that stem from a Song of Ice and Fire? A little bit, yeah, a little bit, and then I want to get to, so to get to the sort of Game of Thrones of it all. Um, so, so the intrigue between uh, between the, the the dwarves and the and the elves, just like between the Lannisters and the Starks, I guess. Right. All that stuff was set up, of course, by Matt. Matt set up the Congress and kind of brought all these different characters to Asgard. So it's really playing off everything that he set up. Mm-hmm. Well, since you mentioned that too, I was thinking about. Um when Thor actually becomes the All-Father. I wonder if that is a, a chance for you to do something that's similar to a Song of Ice and Fire. Like, what is the politics behind him ascending to the throne when Odin leaves? You know, I'm sure that's something down the road. But Yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot of stuff to get to before that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I want to focus a lot more on Freya. Oh, um, yeah. You know, as the All-Mother. Um, so we'll kind of start to it won't be so much about having three all mothers. I'll start to focus in a little bit more on just one, mm-hmm. and to see Freya, you know, carry on in some sense the same role that Odin used to have, although she's got a Congress to deal with. Um, so it's not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, at some point, as you can expect, Odin's going to come traipsing back in, and you have the fun of throwing him back into that situation and seeing how how he deals with all that. Yeah, I love how you've just waited to to put him in the book because it's going to have a big impact when he finally does come in. Yeah, Odin and Loki were two characters I knew I I didn't want to just throw them in there from day one. Um, mm-hmm. So they're referred to a lot. They're both referred to. Odin was referred to, I think, several times before he got that glimpse of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when he, when either one of those characters finally appear in the book in a big way, it should it should be a really big moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm also glad that you kept a lot of the traditional supporting cast out so that you could include the new supporting cast. Specifically, I'm talking about Mead. Mead is like the biggest supporting character in the book. <laughs> alcohol of all, of all varieties has become a big supporting character in the book. <laughs> but Mead is the all-father of alcohols. Come on now, Jay. <laughs> All right, great. Well, I know I've kept you a long time, so I just have the one last question, and that's um, you're a huge fan of Mangog. you got the Mangog statue sitting on your desk. When are we getting fucking Mangog? And will he drink mead? Is he going to drink mead? <laughs> I don't know if he'll drink mead, uh, but I, you know, I've said from the beginning, I love Mangog. That's one of my favorite Thor stories, is that very first Mangog story. So I've made no secret that I want to write a Mangog story at some point. Um, I didn't know exactly where it would fall or what, even what it would be initially. 
Um, but now it's it's penciled in, so it's uh, I know where it's going to fall. I know what it'll be. It is. Yes. We may see Man God, you know, over the course of a few stories, but I know where that first appearance is coming. We're not quite there yet, but um, uh, I, I forget my calendar exactly, but it could could be next year. All right. Could be sometime next year. So it's coming. Well, thanks so much, Jason. I know you're uh, done with conventions this year, but uh, next year you should strongly consider coming for C2E2 so I can give you more mead. Uh, I'll try to do that. I, I went to C2E2 last year, maybe? I think. Yeah, I've been once before. I okay. had a good time. Yeah, it's a good time out here. Well, thanks for taking the time, Jason, to talk about Thor. It's my favorite book, so you're killing it, man. You're absolutely killing it. Cool. Thanks, Mike. It's all the color of the mead you gave me that time. <laughs> have you had any since? No. I, oh, my God. I don't want to have any unless it's, unless it's homemade. Well, I'm about to bottle five new batches next week. So we're going to have a regular mead, which I gave you. We're going to have a spiced mead that has like vanilla beans and cinnamon. Um, we're also going to have a black raspberry mead. So I'm going to have right. plenty. That's what I'm telling you. You got to come out for the convention because <laughs> you're set. <laughs> All right, Jason, we'll have a great night and I hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Colloquium with Jason Aaron. For more about Jason's comics and appearances, visit his blog at jasoneaaron.blogspot.com or find him on Twitter at Jason Aaron. For more about Colloquium, visit the Sequart Research and Literacy Organization website at sequart.org. Along with the cast, you'll find reviews, documentaries, scholarly articles, and many unique books that discuss and analyze your favorite comic book series and creators. This week is Thor Week at Sequart, so make sure you check out the site for a variety of great features focused on the Thunder God. Thank you to John Rafano, who wrote and performed the Colloquium theme song. John is the guitarist for the post-rock metal band Sonnet. Their first full-length album, Known Flood, is out now on Sacrament Records. You can listen to the tracks at sonnet.bandcamp.com. Until next time, chums. <laughs>